Coming up on this episode of Linux for Everyone, our pal Shickle is here to tell you all about a stunning terminal app that is both eye candy and really, really useful. Plus, a ton of you emailed me with your suggestions and tips for video editing on Linux. I'm going to read one of those emails and tell you about life after Lightworks. Plus, Linux has a quality control problem. But the Destination Linux community is building a solution. I'm going to tell you all about that and how you can get involved. And we'll close out the show with some thoughts about the luxurious ThinkPad P53 that is spoiling me rotten. Episode 39 of Linux for Everyone starts right now. Oi, meu nome é Pedro e eu escuto o Linux for Everyone em Porto Alegre, Brasil. Welcome home! Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Linux for Everyone and welcome home. My name's Jason, and I want to thank you for spending your time with the show. I know there's uh, plenty of other podcasts to choose from, plenty of other ways to consume your time. So thanks a lot for being here. This is my uh, my last week here recording from Studio B and C. B is for beach, C is for car. <laughs> my last week here in Prementura, Croatia. So a little bit tinged with sadness recording this episode, uh, just because it's the last time for a while that I'll get to drive out into the middle of a forest, set up my, uh, my, my laptop and my microphone, and stare out at the Adriatic Sea while I'm recording this. I, I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Plus, you know, if it gets too hot in here while I'm recording, I'm, I'm like 20 feet from the water. So I'll just go take a dip and then and then come back and keep going. Anyway, before we get into the discovery of the week and the rest of the show, I wanted to remind you guys how you can get involved with the Linux for Everyone community. Uh, the two biggest platforms are definitely going to be Telegram and Discord. We just crossed a uh, thousand members in the Telegram group, and that that place is just hopping all the time. Links to both the Telegram and Discord groups will be in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 39, and I hope to see you guys there. Now, the discovery of the week, for those of you who love a good system monitor, but also love to live in your terminal, this is going to blow your mind. It is called Bashtop. And yes, it is a bash-driven system monitor that is absolutely beautiful in kind of a gradient retrotastic way. We did an app spotlight for this on YouTube, but I wanted to highlight it here as well because it's absolutely wonderful. And I think the developer deserves so much praise for this. Uh, so here is our newest team member, Shickle to tell you all about Bashtop, and I will see you on the other side. Here, right away, let me just go ahead and say that this is probably one of the most beautiful terminal applications I have yet to see. It is feature-packed, displaying everything from an overall CPU resource monitor to a breakdown of each core, your CPU totals, your load averages, all in one really, really cool 
gradient-filled package. You can adjust the refresh rate, you can adjust the formats. Beyond that, it goes to show you your memory usage, how much is available, how much is used. It shows your cache, it shows your swap values, but it does it in the most stylish way possible. Over on the bottom right, you have a process tree. You get to see all of your running processes, how many resources each one is using, and it also lets you control killing them, terminating them. Of course, beyond that, Bashtop is a themable application. You also got network monitor resource usage graphing over on the bottom left. I know that was a little long-winded. Shows you your totals, your uploads, your downloads. That's not even the coolest part. This is already gorgeous and blowing my mind. But if you go ahead and press the escape button while you're in Bashtop, you're presented with a really cute game style menu. What's great is that a lot of terminal applications require you to edit configs in order to get the results you want. Bashtop has a nice little menu in the application for this. You can adjust your themes from here. You can adjust the refresh rates from here. You can adjust tools like PSUtil. I generally would not touch this unless you know what you're doing. Of course, you can also adjust things like time formats. You can adjust whether the menus update in the background. Uh, it is not necessarily the lightest application. It does use a fair bit of resources. So if you want to be able to press the escape button, pause it for a bit without killing it, that can save you a bit of resources. You can also do some pretty cool stuff like changing how the processes are organized, which would be called prop tree. You can even control which disks are shown. It's just... It is so gosh darn gorgeous. Bashtop is available for Linux, macOS, FreeBSD, and it's themable. You can get it as a snap on the Snap Store, which means it'll run on a variety of different distributions without having to worry about whether it's in the repos or whether it's updated. You just pseudo snap install Bashtop. Or you could go to snapcraft.io slash Bashtop but you can also go to the GitHub page. There is a plethora of information on configuration and build opportunities for all kinds of different distributions. There is even an effort to port Bashtop to Python. Yeah, that's right. Pytop? Python top? I'm not entirely sure how that'll work out, but I know I'm excited, and I think you should probably be pretty excited as well. Now, I do have a small but very important update on Bashtop. Uh, the developer, as Shickle alluded to, the developer has been working on a Python version of this as well. And the name is a little bit hard to pronounce. It's Bpytop, I think. Uh, Bpytop. B, capital P-Y, lowercase t-o-p. It looks like the developer is going to focus his future uh, development efforts on the Python version because it's a little bit less resource intensive. They're slightly different, and I personally prefer the look of Bashtop. But hey, maybe, maybe the open source community can jump in and keep Bashtop alive as well as its Python counterpart. Uh, so hopefully, you know, we'd love to see both of these projects thrive. Seriously, though, if you have a second monitor to throw this on, <laughs> do it. It's so it's so addicting to just sit and look at. So thank you to Shickle for actually putting that on my radar and for producing a really kick-ass video showing this app in action. 
So let's call this next segment the further adventures of Jason in Linux video editing land or something like that. As you know, if you listened to the last episode, I recently admitted that I made a bit of a mistake by going with um, commercial software for my Linux uh, video editing solution. And the software, of course, is Lightworks, which is phenomenal software. And I paid for the pro license for one year, but I didn't realize, I could not foresee bumping into that licensing wall, bumping into that, uh, that two-system limit. And because I want to treat all of the hardware that I evaluate, like the ThinkPad P53 that I'm recording on and editing on right now, like my daily driver, I want to be able to actually do all of my work on these systems. Uh, that means I have to, you know, move apps around and move data around a lot. Long story short, I can't do that with Lightworks. And so uh, I asked you guys to send your thoughts to Linux for Everyone at pm.me. Joe did that, and a lot of other people did that, with a ton of really useful tips and suggestions, and thank you to everyone who sent in an email. Now, several of you recommended Flowblade, and I'd actually heard of that, and uh, I, I do want to make a promise that I will check it out. But Joe's email is interesting because, as well as recommending Flowblade, he had an alternate suggestion. Let me read a snippet from his email. My other recommendation is a bit of an oddity, but is probably the most advanced video editing suite available for Linux. If you want to use an editor that can edit 4K or even 8K without stuttering and has hardware acceleration for both AMD and NVIDIA, or can do simple edits all the way to super complex things like replacing the sky or removing a house from a video scene, Cinelera is at the top of the mountain of Linux editors. Joe says, uh, Cinelera isn't very complicated, but unless you take the time to read the documentation, you will not be inclined to use it since it can be intimidating at first. And, and so was Lightworks, to be fair. But trust me, he says, Cinelera is the editor that will allow you to do anything your mind can imagine. By the way, Joe, you should probably write marketing copy for Cinelera. I'm halfway serious. Like, this is very quotable, what you have written into me, so... <laughs> If, you, if you're not a copywriter right now, you might want to consider that. All right, where was I? He says, Cinelera gets overlooked by many Linux communities, but has found a bit of a following on Solus Linux. That's interesting. I wonder if it's, it's included in Solus. I can't say enough good things about Cinelera, but have a look and best of luck finding a great new editor for your workflow. Joe, thank you again, and as I said, I will definitely check that out. I'm going to make an attempt to edit a new video with a new app every week. Now, there were actually uh, a lot of people on YouTube as well recommending Cinelera, and I'm, I'm a little bit surprised I'd never heard of it, and I'm going to take a wild guess that many of you listening hadn't heard of it either. Uh, but sometimes, you know, those gems, those gems come out of nowhere, and then you end up loving them. Despite your recommendations, Joe, uh, I ended up starting with Shotcut. And I actually edited our new App Spotlight video using Shotcut, and I'm really impressed. I'm not saying I'm going to stick with it, but, you know, in terms of first impressions and just getting a handle on the workflow and uh, how to do basic editing tasks, man, really impressive. Uh, to begin with, there was no stuttering in my timeline playback, even with some 4K footage that I had shot. 
Uh, it supports GPU acceleration, which is wonderful. On the ThinkPad P53, which has an 8-core Intel CPU, okay, I exported a 5-minute and 30-second video at 1080p using just the CPU, and that took 4 minutes and 40 seconds. Now, I switched on hardware acceleration, and, and by the way, it actually has a detection button, so it'll detect the right encoder for you based on your hardware. So with the NVIDIA Quadro 4000 on this laptop, it only took 1 minute and 58 seconds. That is a massive, massive difference. I can't say that I won't use something like Caden Live because I know there are workarounds for getting hardware acceleration going, but I won't go back to something like Lightworks now because Lightworks rendering and exporting only supports uh, CPU and not your GPU hardware. So yeah, I can't go back to that. And I think on the surface, Shotcut looks simple, but it, it, it packs in a lot of features the more you kind of peel back the layers. It has a ton of filters and transitions and features and ah. But the nice thing is that creating like a, a basic dissolve transition, that was so easy. You just kind of edge the beginning of the next clip into the end of the prior clip and it automatically creates that for you. It also has really simple automated size and position uh, effects presets. And I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not just making your eyes glaze over. It's just that I'm really excited about video. So, okay, what is a size and position effect? It's like when a graphic comes in from the bottom left of the screen and kind of hovers there and then disappears, right? It's, it's uh, just those, those nice, elegant little animations that you can do with graphics or uh, second and third video tracks. And Shotcut can do that. And there's like, I don't know, two dozen different options and it, it's completely automated for you. And with Lightworks, um, unless I was missing something, I'm pretty sure you had to do this by manually entering keyframes and, and in effect uh, animating it yourself. I'm just super impressed with Shotcut thus far and it, it didn't crash on me. So it's got all these things going for it. You know, it probably has more features than I even need. But I'm going to try and do another video or two with Shotcut. And then I will uh, vow to check out Flowblade and Cinelera, as well as revisit Caden Live and a couple others that, uh, that everyone has suggested. As always, the journey continues. If you have your uh, experiences that you want to share about video editing on Linux, you can send me an email to linuxforeveryone at pm.me. Let me take a minute now to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux for Everyone. DigitalOcean is the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, 
integrated firewalls, load balancers, and much more. And DigitalOcean recently announced a bunch of new features and services like virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. DigitalOcean has also added a couple new droplets, and this is a feature that I really love. Uh, they've added Jitsi, which is, of course, a open source web conferencing uh, Zoom alternative, which I like to use as often as possible, and a Minecraft server, quick install droplets. You can get all of this, plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 US per month. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free right now with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. Just go to do.co slash dln. And uh, I'd like to thank DigitalOcean once again for sponsoring this episode and the entire Destination Linux network. You may or may not agree that Linux in general has a quality control problem, but I think that you can at least agree that it has a consistency problem. Well, the Destination Linux network community is coming together to solve the issue, and I want to take a little bit of time to tell you about the problem and the proposed solution. So I once had a conversation with Dustin. Uh, he's an Ubuntu budgie developer. And he told me that when they were testing an update to their UI, um, they ran into a, an issue. And that issue was that no one on the team had access to a 4K monitor. That meant it was impossible for them to to see how, how, how those tweaks to their UI would look on a high DPI monitor. And this is only one little example, and it's it's a minor one, but it reflects an ocean full of problems that negatively impact the desktop Linux experience. In episode 186 of Destination Linux, Noah, Ryan, and Michael kind of cracked open this can of worms talking about this. You know, Noah tends to go on monologues, right? Well, this one really hit me hard. And it, it actually inspired me to write an article up about this at Forbes uh, because it, it, it exposed how many different points and places that a good, consistent desktop Linux experience can just fly out the window. Let me play it for you. Listen to this. You start with this idea that there is a lot of hardware out there and, and more and more companies are making it and trying to make it work for Linux. And so they're getting involved in the process of saying, how do we find out how to make our, our hardware work with Linux? And Lenovo is doing this, Dell is doing this, System76 has been doing it for years. And of course, there's a plethora of ODM manufacturers that are making hardware and then being rebranded and sold. At the same time, you have a number of different software engineers that are writing software and making really good quality software, but then trying to decide how to get that software out to their end users. Because in between the people that are making the hardware, the people that are making the software are the people that are making the distros. And each one of those people are making different decisions. Every company has their own beliefs. Some people believe that rolling right up to the bleeding edge is the best way to get the highest quality software. Other people say, well, no, we have to have kind of a staged approach and we all have to skate towards a common goal and their advantages and disadvantages with all of that. And so what you're left with as a user is you can go to a Best Buy and you could purchase a computer, but depending on who made that computer, when that computer was made, when in the release cycle that computer was made, what software was available at the time, what the release cadence of those software projects were at the time that that LTS or that distro came out, all affects the quality and the experience that you get 
as an end user. To be completely honest with you, I was exhausted after listening to just that part of the episode uh, because it was it was it was sobering and it was just such an eye opening revelation, you know, that uh, that, wow, we really do need to do something about this. While it's far from perfect, there is an effective mechanism in place for Microsoft's army of Windows insiders, right, to test future operating system, future Windows 10 features and updates against this massive range of hardware and report any issues that are found. Now, granted, some of those issues get ignored or, or do not get addressed, but it is an effective platform. Of course, you know, those army of testers, they only need to focus on a single operating system. Linux users are spread across dozens of them, and they're all using different kernels, different software versions that have different release schedules, as, as Noah alluded to. And, and these distributions rely almost solely on their community for this testing. You know, they put out a call on Telegram, on Twitter, on IRC, maybe a newsletter. In smaller distributions, it's possible that they will get almost no exposure and engagement and... I'll tell you the truth, even a giant like Ubuntu, I think, would find this beneficial. And I say that because many, many months ago, Alan Pope kind of came to the Destination Linux community and said it would be really awesome to to leverage this large and enthusiastic community uh, for hardware testing. And I think that's actually where the the seed was planted. The need for a, um, a unified, structured system that can aid developers in identifying and addressing problem areas. So what if that existed? I think it needs to exist. And and look, I don't I don't I'm not going to say this to toot my own horn, but it's it's a good demonstration of the need for such a quality control platform. So I'm testing this ThinkPad P53 and I ended up catching a pretty crazy bug that was preventing the um proprietary NVIDIA driver from being installed. And neither Fedora nor Lenovo caught this before shipping it. it. You know, I get that some things simply slip through the cracks, and that's fine. But I emailed Lenovo's Linux team. We got it filed on Bugzilla, and within about 48 hours, the problem was fixed. Now, what if you extended this out to potentially tens of thousands of people who have everything from old legacy hardware to bleeding edge, or maybe even like me, unreleased systems. So what the Destination Linux network is proposing is basically, basically, you know, this could change, a web interface where users can sign up as volunteers for testing and they submit the hardware that they're able to test with. Then the developers can submit requests that target, I don't know, a certain specific virtual machine environment or a specific combination of of hardware components and then the system makes a match and the volunteers start the much appreciated task of testing whatever feature or you know update that the developers need tested so the DLN is offering to cover server costs for this website related costs as well as orchestrate a bunch of other aspects of the project which is awesome and this is all in its infancy. It started just last week. And right now, the, the DLN community is putting out a call for web developers to help build this. If you are a web developer, we need your help. If you have experience in 
web platform development, project management, system administration, or you just have some good ideas that you want to throw into the mix, you can make a valuable difference here. And I really think that if if we are, as a community, if we are vigilant and we get this done, it can really benefit the entire Linux ecosystem, the users, the developers, everything, everybody. And if you're interested in just putting your hardware to good use once this is all built, that's awesome. Keep an eye on the Destination Linux Network forum thread that I'll have linked in the show notes, or you know, just keep listening to this show, keep listening to Destination Linux for updates on the project. I'm really excited about this, and um, I'm encouraged by the fact that I've already seen a bunch of very helpful people sign up for this, and uh, there's already conference calls scheduled and how to build it, and it's, uh, you know, people are tackling, like, the, the legal language, and just all these aspects are starting to slowly come together, and I think this is great. So it's a quality control platform. It is being built by the Destination Linux community. Get involved, Okay. So I want to close out the show by talking a little bit about my experience with the Fedora-powered ThinkPad P53. But before I do that, I wanted to remind you guys, there is a Linux for Everyone Patreon, and you can get on board for as little as $2 per month. Uh, That gets you early access to both the podcast and all the video content. It gets you a super fan credit on every single video that we produce, and... It gets you a patron-exclusive Telegram group. So that's a Telegram group that is only for patrons of the show to hang out and chat with me and each other. In addition to that, uh, I am trying to, you know, now that I'm kind of starting to recover from the Legionnaire's disease craziness, uh, I'm trying to get back into our patron live chats. So I will have a new one of those scheduled very, very soon. So keep an eye on your uh, Patreon inbox for that as well. Anyway, I am grateful to all of my patrons who support this show with their wallet. And I'm also grateful to everyone who just kind of spreads the word. That's that's something you can do as well. You can just tell one or two people about Linux for everyone. If they're into Linux and you enjoy this show, share it with your friends, share it with your colleagues. And let's get this thing really exploding in the next few months. I want to double the amount of listeners for this show, and you guys can help me with that. So believe it or not, uh, I have only touched two ThinkPads in the last 15 years or so. I know that's kind of hard to believe because I I seem to always have new laptops and new systems crossing my desk, (laughs) but it's true. The last one was the ThinkPad X1 Extreme, and I only had like two days with that. That is how I was introduced to Fedora for the first time and Pop! OS for the first time. And uh, the next time I got my hands on a ThinkPad was just a couple weeks ago. Following the interview that I did with uh, Matt Miller of Fedora and Mark Pearson of Lenovo, the company agreed to send me their ThinkPad P53, which should be shipping with Fedora as a pre-installed option by the end of August 2020. 
So if you're listening to this like right when it's released, this thing should be live in a few days according to Lenovo. And there's also two other Fedora-powered ThinkPads that they'll be releasing that consumers can buy as well. This thing is spoiling me rotten, you guys. I mean, I hate to sound like a an overnight fanboy. I lo- look, I love System76, and I love their hardware. I love that company. I love everything that they do. But you know what? There's no better typing experience than on this ThinkPad right here. <laughs> And I type all day long. It's a big deal. This thing is also built like a tank. I have dropped it. I have taken it to multiple beaches, rocky beaches for photo shoots. I have spilled lemonade on the keyboard. Um, I have abused this thing left and right already in the last two weeks in Lenovo PR. I'm so sorry. Maybe you just want to let me keep it because, you know, I've already um, I've already abused it so much. You should just let me hang on to it. Despite the fact that uh, it's 2020 and these bezels on this thing are comically oversized, you know, that also does reinforce the display, which is gorgeous, absolutely stunning. Oh, this is not this is not a bash on everything else segment. But, you know, this is a this is a 500 nit Dolby Vision panel. And I've seen some of my nature footage and photos on this display now, and it looks so much better. And because it's 500 nits, I have been working pretty much nonstop outside while I've been here at the sea. And I have no issues with um, seeing everything clearly, and I cannot say that for my old Oryx Pro. I'm not sure about the new one, the new 6th generation one yet. This thing is not going to win any sexiness awards, right? It's not trying to be an ultra-thin, attractive laptop. And yet, to me... It is. Not ultra thin, but very, very attractive. I mean, it's so sturdy. And I love pulling it out of my bag and and opening that lid and looking at the hinges on the display and knowing these things are probably going to last for like a decade. These things are built to take some abuse. You know, the, like I said, the keyboard experience it, to me is unmatched. I use a lot of different keyboards and this is just so luxurious to type on and so inviting. Great travel, those those slightly concaved keycaps. Um, the trackpad, the glass trackpad is so smooth. And that's one thing, you know, a lot of Linux laptop manufacturers do not get this right. They might have good hardware, but the actual experience of running your finger on that trackpad and seeing the response on your screen isn't the greatest sometimes. But whatever they've done here... It is, like in my opinion, flawless. It's clear that Lenovo and Fedora have worked together to make this feel like a good a good synergy. You know, like, hey, Fedora feels right at home on this ThinkPad hardware, just like Pop! OS feels, feels natural on an Oryx Pro. There's a couple things I also wanted to point out about Fedora. Uh, this, is, this is my, I guess I'm kind of giving Fedora a second chance because I didn't have the great experience with it uh, when I first tried it on the ThinkPad X1 Extreme. Uh, And I think it's come a long way. And a lot of that, I think, is down to improvements in the GNOME desktop, especially with regards to Mutter and, and just the overall responsiveness and speed 
that that desktop environment has received in the last year or so. But one very important thing as it relates to Lenovo, and I know that, you know, some of you guys have had some fears. What's Lenovo going to do to Fedora? Is it going to remain pure? It absolutely is. And I'm very happy to tell you that the only changes Lenovo has made to, you know, that that default uh, workstation image that you'll download on the Fedora site is three documents in the home folder. It's a, uh, a P53 user guide that Mark Pearson actually wrote, which is really, really handy. It's, it's tailored for Linux. And then there's a limited warranty PDF and a software product license agreement PDF. That's it. The rest is pure Fedora. It ships with Nuvo. If you want to get the Quadro driver installed for your NVIDIA card, you just enable the third-party repositories the first time you fire up the, uh, the software store, and you take it from there. And it's pretty straightforward. And there's even instructions in that user guide. The fingerprint sensor, guys, yeah, can't live without that anymore. Cannot live without that anymore. I'm so addicted now to just being able to log out and then log back in with my fingerprint. Now, Lenovo said they were working hard to treat Linux like a first-class citizen on its hardware. And that apparently involved developing a um, Lenovo Vantage-style software suite for its Linux systems. I don't know what the progress of that is yet, but I do know that they have also worked directly with companies like Synaptics on native Linux fingerprint sensor drivers. And yeah, that's definitely that's definitely proven here. It works, and it works flawlessly. Registering your uh, fingerprint is a piece of cake. Logging in with your fingerprint, reliable. Verifying yourself in terminal when you run a sudo command, snappy, super snappy. I just had no idea what, is, uh, what I was missing, and I can't live without this anymore, so... <laughs> So yeah, now it's nice to it's nice to have a laptop with a fingerprint sensor that I can actually use as um you know as a as a part time gamer as a content creator a video producer. Right now, this thing is almost too much machine for me, but it also feels kind of future proof, and I like that. Sixty four gigs of RAM, uh, a one terabyte. NVMe SSD, an NVIDIA Quadro four thousand, and an eight core Intel i9 CPU with vPro. Now, yes, I wish that they would ship these with Ryzen, but this is a seriously powerful and durable and luxurious laptop. And I love that they are about to ship Fedora on these things. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the web shop experience actually looks like for end users. And I'm looking forward to more just using the ThinkPad more. Uh, hopefully I'll have a review for you guys soon. I will be pitting it directly against the new 6th generation System76 Oryx Pro because these are both about the same price range and they both are 8-core CPU systems with roughly the same specs. Uh, so at least I can get some experiential comparisons and, uh, and some, some benchmarks to, to have for you guys as well. Wow, this has been a this has been a lengthier episode, a little bit longer than normal. Uh, I think Studio C just brings out the verbose part of Jason. So thanks for hanging in there. Uh, if you want more, you can follow me personally on Twitter at KillYourFM. Uh, you can follow the show's Twitter account, Linux the number four, everyone, 
and links to Mastodon and Library and Discord and Telegram and all the great places that you can stay up to date with what's happening on the network, as well as chat with the community, will be in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 39. And I think that's going to do it, gang. Thank you so much for listening. For more great content, check out youtube.com slash Linux for everyone. And also our entire network of shows at the Destination Linux Network, destinationlinux.network for DLN Extend, for the Pseudo Show, for DOS Geek, for uh, Tux Digital, all kinds of great content. All right, I'm going to get out of your hair, but until we speak again, you guys take care and take care of each other. Bye.